0: that's the start point of transformational leadership is to go you know what i can fight this i can make it worse i can do all sorts of things or or you can metabolize it
1: hey it's david and you're listening to leadership without losing your soul your source for practical leadership inspiration tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. So excited to introduce you to our guest. Uh, He is brilliant. We were joking about whether that should be in quotes, parentheses or whatnot, but after you take a look at his book, I'm sure you will agree. Our guest today is Nick Jenkel, who's a highly sought after and accomplished international professional keynote speaker. Uh, He has served organizations uh, around the world as a futurist, a transformation catalyst, And he's at the pinnacle of his thought leadership. And you'll see why as we get to talking. He's advised and accelerated ambitious organizations like Google, uh, Diageo, Intel, Lendlease, P&G, and even the BBC. I mean, you can't get any bigger and institutional than the BBC. And when you hear his voice, you might understand why he was talking with the BBC. Nick, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
0: Thank you so much, David. Uh, We actually call affectionately the BBC auntie. In, um, in the UK, uh, which sort of brings, uh, not, the, not the funky auntie either. I think the sort of one that likes to sip a little bit of sherry on the, on the corner.
1: Well, I got to tell you, anybody who can be an advisor to their auntie, that is the pinnacle of thought <laughs> leadership. I think that is what it looks like.
0: That's the pinnacle of emotional courage. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> that's I right. Think as, as you know from my book, emotional wisdom and thought leadership definitely go together, I think, in today's world. But no, they're amazing. Actually, BBC is an amazing organization and they're much maligned um, by everyone likes to take a a shot, but they've actually done some incredible things for our world and our planet uh, and continue to do. So um, I'm very proud of having worked with them
1: for many years on many different things. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, I'm excited to have you here because we're going to be talking about your latest book out this year with very current relevant information. It's called Now Lead the Change, Repurpose Your Career, Future Proof Your Organization, and regenerate our crisis-hit world by mastering transformational leadership. So you can see in that subtitle as you're listening today, very practical, very applicable for this moment. But before we dive into the book, Nick, I, I want to ask you to go back with us to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Mm. <laughs> and what would that be?
0: Ah, oh, I just, uh, I'll, I'll use one that actually... Um brought to life in a, in a previous book. Um, when I was 15, uh, and it's only in the uh, benefit of 2020 hindsight that one does, you know, 30 years later, realize the stepstones of your story. I was invited to give a sermon in a synagogue, um, to, uh, celebrate a graduation, uh, of all the 15 year olds of that group. So it's a couple of years after bar mitzvah and we'd all done two years of, um, kind of like a, a, an academic program in religion, you know, the government, uh, government exam. This was kind of like the graduation. And they invited me to be the, um, the sermon speaker, which was the first time I'd ever really done public speaking. Um, and I had never wanted to be a speaker or, or, you know, anything. I didn't know it wasn't a thing, really, in, in England in 1980s, late 80s. And they invited me to do that. And so I, that was the first time I realized I was being invited to speak for a group. Um, to speak on behalf of a group and to bring the group along with me into a conversation, you know, pulling from them some ideas. It wasn't just the the, the me show. Um, and I think, I, I guess at the, around that time, I was attempting to influence groups of kids, you know, teenage boys, 15, 16-year-old boys, away from some of the more harmful, diminishing, destabilizing things that boys can do. And I think... Uh, I was also probably learning that um, my parents needed to be led <laughs> in some way to understand me and where I was going um, from the homes we had. So I think that's probably the, the glimmers of realization. But I didn't really think of leadership as a concept. I didn't have it as a, a meme or a term until way later, like in, in my late 20s. That's when I sort of understood leadership was a, was a, was a sector, a, uh,
1: not an industry, but a topic, you know, a genre of its own something you could learn and study. And, and so yeah. one of your earliest memories is really of influences, of being an influencer to your peers, mm-hmm. to your own parents. Uh, and so that's a journey that started pretty early in life for you.
0: Yes. Although I, I don't think I
1: was given much guidance. And I think
0: one of the things I look back on and go, how many teenagers are out there who given some leadership Technologies, some some tools, some just even just a an overview uh, of where you could go as a leader. So I tried to do in this book actually give a little bit of a sort of where can you go with this kind of stuff. Um, how much more amazing our world will be actually, and how much less pain and suffering there would be. I, I mean, obviously it's changed. that We do have now programs for young leaders, both in companies but also in schools. Um, there was a lot more active interest in uh, what a leader of tomorrow looks like. So I am kind of uh, more hopeful Um, but it's definitely something very passionate to me which is how do you bring leadership out of people at any age in any sector in any class gender color whatever Um, as I say in the book leadership is a human skill not a technical skill and you don't have to wait to be called a leader you know tier three or whatever you know pay code x1 I don't know whatever these corporate terms are, um, you don't have to be, wait to then to be a leader. You can, you can be one much quicker.
1: Absolutely. A topic near and dear to our heart on this show. So before we go into the book, Nick, I want to ask you to tell our listeners just a little bit about your journey and uh, how you got from the the work that you were doing, and you were all over the world, corporate jets, all that fun stuff, to uh, what you're working on now.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll give you the... Uh, so, I started my career in medical school actually, and I wanted to be a psychiatrist, uh, psychologist, and followed some, you know, these sort of uh, what do you call them? Uh, little breadcrumbs. Followed some breadcrumbs. Ended up in an ad agency, a big ad agency, beautiful, amazing uh, ad agency. It kind of peak time for for ads, um, and was a, well, essentially a consumer psychologist, creative strategist, brand thinker. Uh, sort of applying the psychology of humans into corporate world and I ended up starting my own company very early in my life um, around 24 so that first of all made me have to step up massively and started I started learning a lot about um, the more sort of self-development coaching side of things I had a coach almost immediately at 24 uh, entrepreneurial coach um, and then but and the company was all about doing innovation it was an innovation consultancy uh, uh, innovation agency and what Two things started happening. One, I started realizing that clients could have all the innovation ideas and, and beautiful designs and business model designs and whatever they wanted, um, if they didn't have the leadership capacity to, to land them in the organization and take the organization with them, they just stayed in the beautiful, you know, PowerPoint slides that we gave them, um, the renders or whatever. Um, and that was actually quite heartbreaking for me to do. You know, spend two years in investigating the future of a sector and like blood, sweat and tears and creative workshops and consumer insights and anthropological stuff just to find that the company didn't have the culture, the leadership culture. And at the same time, I was also being asked by clients, could you teach us how to do this stuff? Can you teach us creativity? Can you teach us innovation process, disruptive innovation? And that became creative leadership, obviously. And then my early interest in my personal change, psychology, psychiatry, then returned into my kind of field very explicitly, consciously, and I realized that I wanted to deliver a leadership framework or, or, or approach that was rigorous, um, that wasn't just influenced by a fancy trend. If I'm going to use some neuroscience, I want to actually know the paper that I'm quoting. That's the old rigor of being a scientist originally. And that sort of you know, o- grew over time. And then I brought in, I guess, a more personal Uh, aspect, a more purposeful, more spiritual aspect myself, as I grew myself through the maturity levels of the natural progress of me. And then I guess that's all sort of come together finally in the last maybe two or three years. But it's been obviously a very, I wouldn't call it a a neat transition. There was no talent pipeline for me. There was no coach. There was no mentor. Um, There was just me trying to struggling, working it out, unfolding some stuff having some colleagues that have helped me, peers, some peers. Um, uh, So that's kind of like a little bit of the journey. So I didn't want to do this. It wasn't something I thought, I want to be a leadership consultant. Um, It kind of found me. um, And obviously you can see there a nice little circle. 15, wanted to be a psychiatrist. Not quite 50, but almost 50, ending up being a kind of leadership. I want to call it psychiatrist is the wrong term. But psychiatry means healing of the soul, which fits nicely with your, Uh, for this podcast title, right? So um, there is something about the soul of leadership, which is an important aspect to it.
1: Well, and it's one of the reasons I asked you to share that background is so that as, as we're talking, people understand where you're coming from. It's one of the things that attracted me to your work is that you are very grounded. You've got your own experiences, your own observations, but then also the data, the research. Let's talk about how the brain actually works. I mean, you've got all of it there. And for any leader that wants to make a practical transformational difference, you want to know these things. You don't need to necessarily be a, a neuroscientist and have that level of expertise, but a basic understanding of the functioning of human beings is going to help you to bring the most out of them to help them become their best self. Let's dive into the, the, the book. The, I mean, when you talk about now lead change. Now lead the change. And you talk about all the things that you just brought to bear. I can't think of a more important time to be having these discussions. I mean, you talk about a digital disrupted, damaged world. So Mm. let's just start there. Let's start with the problem as if we aren't all living it. But what is the, how would you diagnose the state of affairs right now?
0: I just love the way you said that, as if we're not all living it. When I started writing the book, I knew we were all living it. But most people didn't know that we were all living it. You know, we're, we're just sitting around with our business model. It's all nice. Um, and now the last few months, we are now living what a futurist or someone with foresight can see was, is already occurring. But it's now become mainstream. We're now sort of like in the early mainstream of adopting this digital disrupted damage world. So let me just give you the three Ds. I like to alliterate. Um, I like to organize my thoughts because, as you can see from the book, I've, as you said, I've got so many sources of information coming into me and into the book I need for myself to be saying I need to to organize it at least in some kind of way and I'd like to you know quote Einstein simpler simple but not simplistic because our brains can't cope with too many inputs and, and numbers and diagrams and stuff. So the three things I think you can pretty pretty much everything that's happening into these three boxes are digital, which means essentially most interestingly ex- exponential digital technologies, technologies that can scale an idea from one to 50 million in a few weeks, months. Um, and within that we've got these so-called fourth industrial evolution technologies which are coming online only just really now. AI, machine learning, blockchain, they're all just the beginnings of these things. I mean, we don't even know what they're going to do yet. They're just sort of popping in, but they really are changing everything. Not always for the better, as we can tell from some of the, um, what I would call the outrage algorithms of social media, sort of fanning the flames of our not better angels, our diablos inside, our trolls, flaming our trolls, our inner trolls. So that's the digital aspect. And pretty much, I mean, this has been said for many years by Silicon Valley, but if your business model doesn't somehow use digital technologies, whether it's through Zoom or li- literally an app or something. It's just it's out of date already, let alone five to 10 years from now. So, you know, so really got to engage with that. But actually there's a bigger issue uh, or disruptor to our status quo business as usual, which is what I call sort of generational disruption, generational change, in that a 22 year old now has such a different worldview to a 62-year-old in terms of what they me- need and as values. And most of our business models are oriented towards an older customer because that's just who was around 10 years ago or 20 years ago with money. I mean, something like eight out of every $10 is owned by a baby boomer. But that's obviously changing quickly because they're retiring and also dying, if we're, you know, to be to be clear and honest. And then the third, so that's the second D, disruption. And the third D is damaged world, which again has been something that Maybe the sustainability people are dealing with I don't know maybe they are maybe they're not CSR someone should deal with it but it's not really to do with the business and now we've got pollution killing people we've got fires all over the place including all around Silicon Valley and LA places I've lived and, and love you've got polar ice melting you've got a pandemic which is sitting up on an already fractured damaged world and perhaps maybe the biggest one is you've got political instability and identity crises that are just tearing us apart. I mean, we're, we're really in a, in a pickle. So those are the three Ds, and I think everything fits into those three Ds. And our job as leaders is to interrogate and engage with these three fundamental, they're not trends, they're like, um, I call them drivers of change or drivers of transformation. And we have to find our way through them. And that's really the sort of start point of, of the book and what transformation leadership needs to, needs to um, dance with.
1: As you bring those up, right towards the end, you were going someplace that I think needs to be highlighted. And you've got a, a, I mean, it's a thread throughout the book, but you've got a whole chapter about it. And that is that what leaders do, if you're going to use the word leader, and regardless of your title, as you said earlier, with a capital L, yeah, you're going to lead. You have got to look reality in the face and react to it in a transformation in a positive way. And you call that the leadership invitation. You've got, a, a, I think it's a chapter 14 that you talk about. Yes. Invite us, give us this invitation, because one of the things I appreciate, this is a smack in the face to me. If you're just yes. sitting back, like there's, there's some reality here. Talk to us about that. <laughs> well, I mean, the pandemic is a great example of this, right? Because it's a slap in the face.
0: It was a slap in the face. And I think most people are still feeling this, the, 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 the cheek, we don't, no one wants to deal with it. We don't want to wear masks. We don't want to have a lockdown. We want to just get on with our lives, but actually, sorry, that's not happening. And we, people are still, still resisting it. And one of the start points of, of, of leadership, and particularly for me in the journey of leadership that we talk about in the book and, and teach, it starts with conscious leadership, which is sort of level one of, of, of six levels. And level one is, how am I showing up? Am I resisting reality? Am I catastrophizing it more than it already is. Am I dramatizing reality or am I denying it or what am I doing? And so that's like the first start point with the invitation, which is whatever is happening around you, it's an invitation or you can see it as a threat. Really, they are both equally accurate. I mean, this has been said for in every self-help book for a hundred years um you know was it uh, henry ford an opportunity uh, a problem is as an opportunity in work clothes right so that's the start point of transformational leadership is to go you know what i can fight this i can make it worse i can do all sorts of things or and this is where i use this word a lot as you know from the book I, or you can metabolize it and this is a really important word for me because um in biology when a cell takes in food which is what we need um it has to do something to that food it can't just sit with it it metabolizes it And I think a business, any business, an organization, a community group, whatever your entity is, is really agnostic. A group of people called a business or enterprise organization can take in change that's happening, if they want to, um, through semi-permeable membranes. And within the sort of cell goo of our enterprises, we can turn that into value. Which brackets... All businesses are here, are here to create value. All political parties are here to create value. All charities are here. All non-profits are here to create value. So then um, that's the beginning. That's the invitation. Take this thing inside you, literally inside you, inside your mind and your heart and go away and think about it and reflect on it and do whatever you've got to do with it and then bring it into your enterprise and say, guys, we have to engage in this. It's not going to go away. Let's adapt. And then something I didn't put in the book but I've been thinking a lot about, and it's maybe a future book or something. Uh, in evolutionary theory, they, they, people talk about pre-adapt, pre-adaptations. So these are adaptations that become more valuable when it, the ecosystem changes, but they were already kind of developed. So you can see Zoom is a pre-adapt, was pre-adapt, pre-adapted for a pandemic. It had already seen the writing on the wall and was already adapted as was Amazon and, and Facebook and all the big tech companies, mass or menos. And I think that's where this invitation really is, is whether, even whether this stuff is not hitting you right this second. And actually, you know, you're doing fine. You know, obviously if you're a cinema or a movie house, that's not the case. But if you are, I don't know, selling um, online fashion, you're probably doing all right right now, but that doesn't mean it's gonna last that long or or forever. So what can you, what can you bring inside you? And, And I actually make this live right now. As you're listening to this, what is staring at you in the face that you're not, hasn't fully accepted or embraced as an opportunity for for transformation. And what would happen if you right now brought it inside your consciousness to work on? And you might not succeed and you might have not have a major innovation for it. That's not the point. The point is bring it inside and let your consciousness, which is the most incredibly powerful organizing system in the universe, the most incredibly powerful, let it get to work and see what it can untangle from
1: the future that's rushing towards us and you you give leaders some particularly helpful ways to ask those questions and figure that out in their organizations and and i i liked the questions and and when you get into um triple loop learning Mm. uh, and and talking about that it's a way to process all of this and and ask ourselves the questions that because if I'm a leader, I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, I've got a job to do, and I've got this team to lead, and I've got results I've got to accomplish, and how do I deal with the massiveness of the global change that Nick's talking about? Mm. Yes, I'm feeling and dealing with, but I need to localize that down to definitely my sphere, what I can do, impact, what I can do, and where I can influence. And so I thought triple loop learning was a particularly helpful way to think about that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I borrowed it from um, another thinker um, who is who is now deceased, I believe, uh, who talked about double loop learning. So you, the first two loops are: what has this project right now in the micro geographic moment of this moment? What has this project taught me about how to do the next project better? Um, so whatever that is, whether you're doing a marketing campaign, an email newsletter today, whatever you're doing today, what is what have you learned in the last week, month that you would teach? The next person who does this or write on your uh, best practice document, should you have one, I had to do it better. That's the first loop. The second loop is what does this project, particularly the failures on the project, taught us about our business model, our product, or our service, or our proposition, whatever your proposition is. And this is the one most people don't want to do because it often means questioning everything you're doing right now and where's it right. doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. You could just park it on a, on a, you know, a spreadsheet, on a Google sheet, on, a, uh, on Slack or send it to people or do it at your next away day, virtual or not. What did this tell us about an early warning signal about somewhere where our business model is not fitting the world? And I would suggest to you, if you're listening to this, that in every single part of your business organization, there are things that don't fit right now. And they're probably not a big deal right now, um, but they might be a big deal sooner than you think. And you can't solve all of them, but where are you getting sort of a sense that there's definitely something that needs updating, changing? That's the second loop. The third loop is really us as leaders of a world in pain, which is what does my failure on my micro project tell me about my enterprise's business model mismatching, but tells us about how our system is no longer a fit for purpose for ourselves or our grandchildren? And that's the third loop, you know, what, what is not, working? you know, why am I flying to do a keynote, you know, 5,000 miles away, using up all this car, you know, blah, mm, let me think about that. You know, that's a, that's something to think about. So that's the triple loop, triple loop of learning. And obviously you can't do it all the time. No one can. But one of the things I talk about in the book and I often finish a keynote with this because obviously keynotes people go, well, how do I do all this? How do I change everything? And I'm like, ah, read my book, you know, buy a program, something. Uh, I can't give you the answer uh, in 10 seconds. What I can say to you is do one thing. And one of the, I have a few of these, but one of the things I always say to people is spend half an hour in the next week, schedule it into your diary now. So if you're listening, do do that. What I call reflect and connect or connect and reflect. Take something that is not working in your business and just sit with it in a place of openness, relaxation, after a shower, after a run, um after yoga class whatever and just let your being let your mind and heart just wrap itself around it and unpack it a little bit it almost invariably opens up possibilities just that one act and most of us have, have value engineered out all the reflection time out of our lives particularly if you're a manager slash leader and that's something i really believe that leaders need to build back in is regular time to reflect on your challenges
1: and it's not just something you believe. I, you made a statement in the book. I can't recall which chapter or page it was on, but I mean, it was, it was a lot more forceful than, yeah, well, I believe it's it like, listen, you're not reflecting. You're not thinking about these things. You're not leading. Wow. Okay. That's great. I'm glad I was more clear. Paraphrasing in my emotional truth of what you said, Nick.
0: That's the way it struck me i am have to take that one for a Facebook uh, post. I quite like it. Whether, whether I wrote it or not, uh, if you're not reflecting, you're not leading. But I definitely, if something doesn't have to change, there's no need for leadership. Just have management. Manage the hell out of that model, tweak it, make it better, increase the efficiency outputs, boom, job done. But we don't live in that world anymore. And that's the thing that I think is so exciting slash terrifying for us all. And I, you know, there are moments I wake up at three in the morning, you know, if I haven't done my, my, my reflecting and processing time, because my body wakes me up to reflect and process, uh, that's, I, I made that deal with myself a few years ago. I was like, you know, if I'm not doing the work, wake me up and I'll do it at three in the morning. No matter how innovative your organization is, there's always things that are not fitting because the world's changing faster than we can even comprehend in our, you know, we, we, we can't even deal with it, right? Even since now, since March, I mean, how much of our lives have changed um, and that's not just from the pandemic, that's from other things too. We have to somehow do two things. And this is one of the big points of the book is we have to keep stability for ourselves and others because no one likes the boss that's always changing everything and reinventing every wheel and, and designing a new, you know, sliced bread. No one wants that. Um, but we also have to be really agile and go, you know what, we're going to really reinvent this, you know, I don't know, whatever it is you do today or this week. And somehow we have to keep this stability thing done. And that can't come from our business model because that's not, can't be stable anymore. It has to be agile. It has to come from something else. There are clues in the book where you can find that stability. Uh, and then you also have to be agile and we have to constantly know when to back out away from agility and when to lean into agility.
1: So I want to dive into this a little bit deeper because listeners of the show will recognize that dichotomy that you just uh, illustrated there for us. In courageous cultures, the way we talk about it is the elegant dance between clarity and curiosity right and, yeah. and, and it, I like alliteration too the you know that, <laughs> that 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 we need both, and so yes. you have a a fantastic way of talking about these inclinations that are in all of us, yes, to control and protect and create and connect yes, do I have that right? Yes, yes, I Let's get confused myself that. sometimes control and <laughs> control and protect, create and connect yes uh, and I, I'm just going to. Turn you loose on this concept because okay. it'll be practically helpful for people.
0: It's probably my most useful thing that I've ever discovered uh, slash um, invented, um, and I teach this to my kids, where we call it um, closed open or control collaborate. You know, we we we, we teach uh, my kids are eight and eleven at the moment, so we're teaching them these two inclinations, two mindsets. I teach it to you know senior execs all over the world, so. Control and protect mode is the one that most of us are most familiar with because it's what's been trained and rewarded in us for the last X number of years. As soon as you go to school, not, you know, not kindergarten, it's all fun, fun and games, but as soon as you get seven, eight, nine, people are like, stop being curious and you know, inefficient. Here's some answers, learn them, there's going to be a test. And that's the beginning of the, the amazing strength of control and protect mode. Uh, so control and protect has got two functions, obviously, control the crazy, control the chaos of life, uh, control our parents, control the remote control, control life by getting stuff done, use Google Sheets, use Excel, whatever. We're good at that, most of us. And then protect is, there's a threat I'm gonna defend using something I've done in the past. So control and protect mode essentially learns algorithms and it learns rules for dealing with life and getting stuff done and making some money and being safe and being rewarded and applauded and getting some promotions, whatever. Wonderful. That's for what I call generally the role the world of management. It's not exactly that neat, but we can just put that for now. And every business needs managers and I need to be a manager regularly. I need to inhabit control and protect mode with my kids, with my staff, with clients, with myself. But if that's all we've got, we have no way of being creative and collaborative and creative, you know, curious, compassionate, caring, all the C's that we love. And so create and connect mode is equally natural, equally inbuilt. Um, And these actually, by the way, do fit into brain research uh, and brain network research of the last five, 10 years. That was really when I was like, wow, this is actually occurring in networks in our brain, not just in my own sort of frame thinking. And so create and connect mode does two things. It does creativity, innovation, new thoughts, possibility, divergent, Uh, thinking. Uh, And then the connect part is it does empathy, it does insight. And of course, you need insight to create ideas about the world innovations, we call them. Uh, You need insight into customers, and particularly future customers, emerging customers. And so these two modes are beautiful, because they're always available to us. And in fact, the latest research shows that people who are highly innovative, um, are able to activate both networks very quickly. Here's an idea. Let's judge the idea. Here's another idea. Let's get rid of that idea. Here's another idea. Let's execute that idea by three o'clock this afternoon. Cause I want to take some time off to go and reflect, for example. Um, so, so that's what I, I guess is the key to leadership is being able to know what mode you're in, which is a revelation for a lot of people that's even two and that what it feels like. Um, and you can start to build a real sense of, oh, when I feel this thing in my chest, I think I know I'm in protect. Okay, good, good to know. Then obviously we want to be able to use the right mode for the moment. And then we need to be able to shift between the modes, which is easier said than done, obviously, but that's really the key to life is how do I use the right moment uh, for, the, for, the, for the problem? And in my keynotes, I often put up a picture of a busy, I used to live in LA, so I'm gonna talk about the 405 highway. Some of you will know it. The joke is, it's, cause you, it's called that because you can only go four or five miles an hour. Um, so the 405, six lanes or 10 lanes in some places, both sides, You do not want to be in create and connect mode crossing this thing. You just want to get across using all the tools that have been drilled into you by your auntie um, to get across the road. Um, However, if you want to solve climate change or future-proof your business model, don't be in that mode where you know everything and you're right and you've got all the answers because you're the genius CEO in the center of the room, everyone's, you know kowtowing to you you want to be in the absolute opposite place which is i don't know the answer let's go on a journey together let's be curious let me ask this 20 year old because they seem to know a lot about blockchain um and if you're you're a sustainability director don't go into freaky fear and worry no matter how much you've got because people will just go into control and protect mode so the great tragic comedy of life and i've seen it in every workshop every business meeting is we go into the wrong mode for the moment and that's the leader's job more than anyone else is in that room is to make sure you are holding a space for whichever mode is appropriate Um, and that includes not just what you say but how do you show up with your body and your eyes and your uh, muscles all these muscles that communicate volumes to people the sweat or not that you're having because you're freaking out on the inside all that people can pick up and that will shift them quicker than your words we must be innovative you know Um, so that's the that's the sort of top a top skate along the
1: the modes which are very generative once you get, go deeper into them and understand them all. such a useful model and one I, I hope that if you're listening you'll rewind and listen to that rewind i guess you know go back it tells you my age right and and let's go back and listen to that again and and particularly nick i appreciate the focus on the leader's role in all of that because to hold that space A, to identify what mode should we be in here? Is this a clarity? (laughs) Is this a control and protect? Or should we be in that curiosity, create, connect? Should we be in that that frame? And then to hold that space. Mm. I'm gonna fast forward and I hope that listeners get this book, get Nick's book, invest in this, and it's gonna pay off for you. But I wanna take us to one of the later chapters, which I think uh, elaborates a little bit on what you were just getting at, and that's emotional safety. Um, both the role, why this concept is so important from a leadership perspective, and then how do we go about establishing it?
0: I mean, when, when this term emotional safety or psychological safety became sort of popped in in leadership circles a, a couple of years ago or whenever it was, it was such a helpful thing for people who do this kind of work because it, it created a, uh, a language and a, a sort of, um, Harvard Business Review approval of something we would all known for a long time, which is, for example, when you're running an innovation workshop, um, you have to do two things. You have to get the process design right. You really do. You've got to get tools and process that get you through these difficult, creative, open possibility moments. But you, more importantly, you have to hold space. So the word we use in, in this industry, you have to hold space for people to change, to have ideas, to feel like not just there's two parts I think to, to being psychological safety or emotional safety holding space one is you've got to help people the safe part that you have to have them feel not just hear from you but feel in their body emotionally more important than thoughts that you can have a crazy idea a dumb idea a wacky idea and you can try something that no one's done before and it may not work and we may not give you a raise because of it, but we won't punish you by all the different forms of punishment we know how to do. We learned from our caregivers and aunties and uncles theme today for me. They have to feel that you won't do that. And that, by the way, in nice companies, and most companies I work for are nice and, and sort of uh, collegial and democratic, but they still have ways of punishing people. Uh, classic one is, um, have you really thought that through? Which is basically a demeaning um, Uh, devaluing, diminishing statement. So emotional safety is when someone knows that that they can try something out, they can speak their mind about your business model, about the holy cows of your business, right down to, actually, I think the logo should be moved left on that social media post. You may not think it's brilliant and you may not think, you know, give them loads of kudos and props, but you won't punish them for it. You'll go, thank you, that's interesting. Or as a headmistress of one of the schools my kids went to, everything's a contribution which is a really important thought of psychological safety. Because then what it does is it does two things. One, it allows people to actually share and you want them to share, you want them to bring these ideas up. One of the things I often say in in a keynote is, do you really think no one at Kodak ever thought, hmm, this is not going well for us? Do you think they all just was towing the line? No, of course not, they just didn't say anything. Nokia is the same, I use that example in the book. If people are scared, um, not even being fired, it's being disapproved of.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They won't share these critical challenges to your thinking. You don't need to do market research, you know, 20 focus groups in five markets. You don't need to do that because you've got people in there from your target market if they can speak. That's the first thing. It helps with the learning, triple loop learning. But more than that, and this is where the, the deeper level of holding space comes from, they don't just feel safe. They then actually tap into their own creative flow state and their own channel, if you want to use that term, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult term for me to use, but I will uh, use it. They tap into their own channel, their own creative force, their own intuitive genius, and from their mouths drop the pearls that we want to collect up and build into another product, project, service, whatever. Um, so you both guard against being disrupted and you allow for disrupt your own disruption to your own market, your own self disruption. But it only happens with safety. And it only happens, there's more than, I talk about trust and you know reciprocity. There are other things that go on in a team that I think work beyond safety, but that's like the bottom. That's like the, the sin qua non, if you want a bit of Latin, uh, without which nothing of agility, transformation, all these things. And it's tricky because most of the leaders I work with cognitively get it, not dumb. And they think they're good people and they are good people. And they're probably, you know, of my generation, they're kind of with it. Um, They're cool dads and mums who wear, you know, cool jeans or whatever and um, trainers and whatever, but they're behaving in ways that are embedded. I call them in the book pernicious uh, and persistent protective patterns. And they are showing up in a way that is having people not feel safe whilst knowing that safety, reading the book on safety, you know, psychologically.
1: And nodding the whole time and going, yes. Uh, So we see that all the time. So in- in, uh, In our approach in Courageous Cultures, we talk about behaviorally, that fundamental behavior that you just discussed is, for us, it's respond with regard. So if there is a need for more information, if they haven't thought it fully through, we don't have to demean. We can say, thank you so much for thinking about how we can improve. You know, here's some information that will help as you're fleshing out that idea. Um, you know, here's a priority you might not have been aware of. And then an invitation would love to get your thoughts on how we might solve for this, you know, give them the information they need to think strategically. That's a fundamental shift in behavior for most of us. I know I wasn't brought up that way. uh, And I have rarely ever met a leader who has, but with all the intentions we set and all the pronouncements we make and all the initiatives we start, those are all a start the closing of the loop is how we actually respond. And so I'm so glad that you bring that out because if we're not acting that way, all of the intentions are for naught. As you said that, I can, I was just putting my own
0: lens on my own team. You know, my, you know it's easy to talk about this to other people and teach them. Um, and what, one of the things that one realizes when you hear this idea of, of you, something regard, um, positive regard, I mean.
1: Respond with it, regard
0: yeah people talk about in psychotherapy unconditional positive regard as the key to holding for a child Uh, so i love that respond with regard and what it does is it takes time you have to slow down and that's basically the rub because we can all do that we can all say actually i'd love to hear your timetable 10 minutes next week but you have to then slow it down enough to not just go we did that last year it didn't work sorry thanks goodbye you have to go, ah, interesting. I really, yeah. And here's some, as you said, here's some developmental feedback. Here's a frame that you probably has not thought of through the lens of this or lens of that. Um, maybe I haven't supported you enough and didn't give you a better briefing. That's one of the big things I talk about. Give better briefings and you'll get a lot better outputs at the end and take the time to slow down and think, what does this people personally need to know that I've got from my experience and genius that will help them have a better outcome that I won't then bitch and moan about afterwards, which is, So we're nice to do it. We all do it. Do I have to do everything myself? And, you know, I've been entrepreneur for 21 years. So I know that one really well. It's always because I don't spend enough time. You know, there are other reasons. I can't control someone else's learning, experience, knowledge, genius. But I know I can control the briefing and the time I take. Um, And yet, you know, we're busy. So how how do we square...
1: Like so many of these other power skills that we're talking about from a leadership perspective, the investment investment we make here is a massive amount of time gained or productivity gained or or what have you down the road, but it's making it now and being aware of those trade-offs to have that discipline. I mean, that's what I appreciate. Going back to something you said early in our conversation, that's what leadership is all about. It is. You know, if everyone's doing it and it's the cultural norm, Mm. okay, great doesn't take as much individual initiative or courage if that's what we're all doing but someone's got to go first right
0: And as you say it there's something else that I saw. so just bringing back those modes again right so coaching development briefing giving people lenses that's all creating connect mode fully fully engaged with people and empathic and it only works long term if those people also have boundaries and aren't Uh, in their own patterning around entitlement or leaving every six months to another job because you can't develop, there's there's no point developing them or putting that energy in if they are essentially in a transactional relationship with you as a company or as a boss, which is a two way street. And one of the things that um, we find very challenging is having people stay long enough to have those deeper learnings that we can bring them into if they put in the time, if they put in, if they pay their dues. And there is a developmental stage, uh, I put in the book, these five stages of leadership And often younger people want to skip a couple. I don't want to do the just learning how to execute. I don't want to do just learning how to take ownership of a project. I just want to get onto the cool innovation and leadership stuff that you're doing, where you know, show me where to go. Um, And, you know, I'm very lucky for myself that I paid those dues. You know, I know I had enough responsibility at a young age to know you can't, there are charlatans definitely in the industry that I'm in, um, but it's not the path for me. Uh, I wanted to really ground my knowledge in,
1: in actual doing, you know. It's, it's important for us as leaders to have those conversations with those young people because yes. there's nothing wrong with their ambition or desire to make an impact. But to just say, right, well, you need more time, that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But to say, mm-hmm. here are the skills and experience, right. and here are the things that's going to allow you to do is once yes. you can do this unconsciously, then you're going to have – you know, to have those conversations and help people understand what they should be acquiring so that they can get there as quickly as they want to, if if their interest in their desire is sincere. Which
0: often, sometimes it isn't because often people want something that they actually, when they get it, they're like, oh God, this is what leadership is. That's a lot. I don't want to do that anymore. Let me just go back and do my day job because that was actually really easy. And I got and at five o'clock I went home, I was not thinking about it anymore. Um, and that's one of the things actually that I counter to this trend to have flat structures and distributed power and creativity at the edges and holocracies and whatever. So a lot of people don't want to have big strategic, innovative, leadershipy thoughts all the time at three in the morning as well. You know, they want to just do their job and go. So that's great. But then just be honest about your own, uh, remit, uh, and, and aspirations for life. But this is actually partly the, an issue with school is it doesn't give people a framework for where they could go um and most hr departments don't have a kind of up-to-date sense of qualities and capabilities for what the job really is not what the job looks like but what the job really is um which is a lot of work um and that's a that, that's a whole other rabbit hole i could
1: well nick okay. i think you and i could go down rabbit holes for them we hours. could
0: there's so many
1: the book is called now lead the change we're talking to nick Jankel nick tell us where to find the book and where to find you Great. So uh,
0: the books available, obviously, our dear friend, Amazon and where books are sold. My website uh, or our website, I should say, is switchonnow.com. And if you go switchonnow.com forward slash leadership, you will get into the stuff we do, the programs we run, you know, the deeper dives, all that kind of stuff. And I'm on all sorts of social media, pretty much. Either look for Switch On or Nick Jankel, and you'll get me Twitter, Instagram, whatever your LinkedIn, whatever your uh, preferences, I'm usually there posting something, sometimes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You will find him and it will be worth your while. I will tell you what, for fans of the show, you've got Winning Well, you've got Courageous Cultures, now lead the change. We have just scratched the surface. There is so much in terms of the framework Nick provides, the powerful tools you can use to help you be a truly transformational leader if that's your desire. So I encourage you, get the book, invest, do the work. Each chapter has great questions and ways for you to apply your learning and what you're doing. Nick, it has been an absolute delight uh, talking with you. I'm so glad that we got to have the conversation because I know that if people will apply everything that they have got today, they're on their way to being the leader they'd want their boss to be.